step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Five, five, four, four, three, three, two, one, one. We have ignition. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Weigh In Sports Talk. I'm your host, Brian Tarvin. We have been away for uh, three weeks, a little bit over three weeks now, but we are back celebrating our five-year anniversary at Weigh In Sports Talk. So it's been a fun five years. A lot of a lot has happened in five years since we started, but Jonathan, he's been with us for the most part of it. I want to thank him for co-hosting Shout out to Trey Patterson, Everett Protz. Those guys have helped co-host the show over these five years. And one thing has not changed is you get the best sports talk here. You get the truth. You don't have a censored um, – we don't, we don't censor things. We don't tell you what you want to hear. We don't tell you what the media is pumping at ESPN. We tell you the truth. And a lot of people can't handle that. So – but if you can and you're looking for the truth, here we are. We're, we're right here for you. So Jonathan should be with us in the next moment or so. But, I mean, the last time we were here was right before National Signing Day in college football. See, we're, we're going to have fun tonight. We've got time to go through and just kind of relive things that's happened, the Super Bowl of all things. What a big, What a big game. What a big event. I'm sure there's a lot of opinions on this show. People, a lot of Falcons fans. Um, complaining, crying about it. I don't know what what their deal is, but I just had a weird feeling during that game when it was when it was twenty eight to ten. There's something about it just told me that hold on, it's not over. And and you got you got to blame the offensive coordinator of the Atlanta Falcons, and we'll talk deeper about that. You, you run the ball four times after you get up twenty eight to three. I, I just I just don't understand it. I just don't understand why you run the ball four times with a 25-point lead and, and give Tom Brady the ball over and over and over again. It's not the Atlanta Falcons' defense's fault. They played a great game. It was the offense's fault, Jonathan. It was the offensive coordinator's fault. Shanahan had his mind in San Francisco, tried to get cute. But what do you think about the Falcons being the most disappointing team, Atlanta in general, the most disappointing city when it comes to sports. How do you choke away a 28-3 Super Bowl lead? It's unbelievable. Atlanta does seem to get the short end very often, don't they? Um, yeah. you know, they're the one seed in the NBA a couple of years ago and get run out of the playoffs by Cleveland. Um, you had two hockey teams taken away both removed to Canada, uh, the Atlanta Flames and the Atlanta Thrashers. Um, 
uh, you know, the Atlanta Braves had that great run in the 90s to win one World Series, and then the Falcons. You know, you make it back to the Super Bowl. After the last one you made to was, you know, marred by the prostitution scandal with, was that, Eugene Robinson. So you, you get back. You're up 28-3. to three. Everything looks beautiful. New England scores a touchdown. Extra point goes off the upright. Beautiful. Well, it's, everything's going Falcons, even when they give up touchdowns. Something could happen. <laughs> And then the panic started. Twenty-eight to twelve was when I started going. Uh oh. Like that yeah. was the uh oh moment. That really was the end. You know, the third and one. You and I agree with this. I know you. You know, we, we've talked about this before. Third and one. You're not in the shotgun. <laughs> We're not doing that. We're not going to be Clemson. Don't line up in the shotgun. That's what they did. Ryan Probably. got sacked, fumbled the ball, and it completely turned the game. <laughs> Here, here's why that, that that turned the game, but here's what blows my mind. You've got a great kicker. Mm-hmm. You're in a dome. You, Julio makes a, uh, an amazing catch down. I think it was a 21-yard line. I may be two yards off, but it's a 23-yard yeah. line. First, first and 10. So the thing you have to do is you don't want to drop back and get sacked. You don't want to drop back and get some holding call. You don't want to have to punt. So – what do you do? You're supposed to run the ball two times to burn the two timeouts in New England so they have no more timeouts. And if you get stopped on third down, guess what? Chip shot field goal to go up by 11. So what do you do? You, you drop back, you get sacked, then you get a holding call, and then you punt the ball and give Tom Brady three minutes left on the clock. What do you think he's going to do? What do you think the best quarterback ever is going to do with three minutes in a Super Bowl? I mean – because right down the field, scores, two-point conversion, giving the ball in overtime, it's over. So I'm not blaming anybody about this except the offensive coordinator's play calling. That's, that's it. I don't think anybody – I can't. you can't pin this on the defense of Atlanta. They did all they could. They got wore down in the first half. They were on the field the entire first half. It was big play after big play that got them, that, got them in a big lead, Jonathan. But I think people overlooked the first half how long the defense was on the field. So – if you're an mm-hmm. offensive coordinator for Atlanta, run the football a little bit. You've got a beast back there with Freeman, and I know he got hurt a little bit, banged up, but still, you throw, you run the ball four times after you get a lead like that in the second half. Four times. Yeah, I mean, I I went through the, you know, the, the box score, the little box score bingo, if you will, try and see where. Uh, Atlanta lost this game. If I could pick it out without having to go to the drive chart, which I went to anyways. Um, New England had the ball for 17 more minutes. New England ran 99 plays. Atlanta ran 45, I want to say it was. Uh, New England England was like 50% on third down. Atlanta was one for eight. One, one for eight on third down. Um, if you look at the second half, now it's funny because Atlanta was averaging 10 yards a play. They're averaging uh, just under six yards a carry. New England ran the ball more than Atlanta for the same number of yards. So, you know, New England was averaging 4 points something to carry. Atlanta was averaging 5.8. Then I went to the drive chart. I'm like, let me see how 
extreme the halves were. Because I've had people tell me this might be the greatest Super Bowl of all time. And for everybody who says that, no, you're wrong. It's the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history, but it's not the greatest game. There are better games. Better games aren't just so disproportionate as this one was. So what I saw was New England scored, what was it, six of their last seven drives? I think they scored, or one of them was their last five. Um, And it was just Tom Brady methodical. They had drives. Atlanta, five-play touchdown, you know, six-play touchdown, pick six. They had big play and scored. That's how they ran it, where New England was methodical, the 8 clock, they chipped away at you. Uh, Atlanta in the second half, three and out, touchdown, three and out, fumble, uh, and then the punt, uh, that, that, yeah, where they should have had the field goal, and then obviously the end of the half. Um, that's atrocious. That's awful. Your longest drive of the second half was, was uh, what, seven plays, and that was the one where you wound up with no points? That's horrible. Kyle Shanahan gets all the yeah. blame. The fact that their defensive coordinator got fired afterwards is despicable to me yeah. because that man did nothing wrong. That defense did nothing wrong. They were on the, play, they were on the field 100 plays. Like Alabama's defense against Clemson, great, great defense in Alabama. If you get 100 plays run on you, you're probably going to lose. And that's exactly what happened in the college national championship, and that's what happened in the mm-hmm. Super Bowl. The people that say the Super, say this was a great game, it was a, it was a polarizing game each half. But a great game to me is, is where it's neck and neck. Every play matters. Every game is back and forth, like the Giants and New England a few years back when, when the Patriots lost and, um, for their perfect season. That's a great game. You know, Denver Carolina last year was a great game. That I mean, the other night was a, it was a tragedy, man. I mean, it was a, it was just like if you're in Atlanta, I live in Atlanta. These fans here are still just like in shock. They're walking around, and I, Monday morning I come in the office smiling, and I'm like, what did you expect? I mean, <laughs> I mean, what did what did you really expect? Did you really think you were going to hold on up twenty eight to three? I mean, most people did, but. Again, it's Atlanta. It's like the Cubs. They finally got the curse off them, but Atlanta, they they haven't. But fire the defensive coordinator. I mean, that is that's awful. And they got rid of a couple more people, didn't they, on the defensive side of the ball? I thought Atlanta's defense this year really impressed me. It got better as the season went on. They're athletic. They're fast. I just think it's stupid to start destroying a staff for your team that made the Super Bowl, and the only reason you lost is because you're stupid offensive coordinator. And this leads me to another point, Jonathan. I don't think you should discuss. I don't think you should. You could be able to discuss another job opportunity while you're in the playoffs. Period. So you can't. You can't accept another job. You can't do anything. And I think it goes for college too. I, I just think there's a lot of distractions that go on, and Shanahan should never have accepted a job before the Super Bowl was over. At that time, then you come in, you make the decision. How much – I mean, that's his fault. If you're San Francisco, why don't you fire him before he even starts? I see there, so it's interesting. You can't, you can't formally accept a job in the NFL um, if, uh, if your team's still in the playoffs. Uh, you're only allowed to interview – I think it's the Pro Bowl week because uh, you're not really doing much that week anyways. Uh, so that his his whole 
recruitment, if you will, with San Francisco, it just became known. It was one of those things where people were like, don't don't call us stupid. We know what's happening here without him actually ever formally accepting anything. Um, so I don't, you know, I, I don't hold anything against Shanahan in that aspect because he had a Super Bowl to win, and I think he coached scared. He was trying to – he didn't want to leave it up to Matt, Rock, Matt Bryant to put the game away. He wanted to score another touchdown to officially ice it and to cement it and say, look what I did to Belichick and his defense. And, I, I you know, coaching scared is like playing scared. It's like betting scared. You don't win. No. No, it's like playing poker. But I'm – the the biggest knife I've ever had was knives I had no fear. I had a big stack in front of me. But if I'm playing with the mortgage money and I'm scared to, to make a call sometimes it's I win big. And that's uh, that's the thing. You gotta take chances and you talk about last night, for instance, Auburn basketball. Jonathan, I was sick. Uh, watching this team. This was a very important game. We'll get I just wanna get off on this tangent real quick since tonight. We've been off for three weeks. But Auburn basketball has been great in the first half. I mean, they've been just annihilating people. Auburn's up 20 at half. They're up 23 in the second half, and they stop attacking. They stop doing what they did in the first half to get them there. They start chewing the clock up. They start shooting stupid shots, not playing defense. They got beaten by six. In Atlanta, the same thing. You don't want to neglect the run because the run does – eat up the clock and everything, but that's something that that you can do against New England. You've got three I mean you've got a good running game. You've got to be able to and football and basketball is a little different, Jonathan. In basketball a twenty point lead can evaporate very quick. In football, if you're not running the ball and getting first downs, what happens? You uh, got a big well, the clock, the yeah. clock stops. Yep. And it takes takes forever, and it's like you have to be smart. And Bruce Pearl, to me, is a great recruiter or something. But to me, I'm just questioning his coaching. It's like I'm coaching Atlanta's coaching. You know, I've I've seen Auburn football game. Malzahn up 37-17 over Georgia in the fourth quarter with nine minutes left, and and he, he's losing 38 to 37 all of a sudden. I mean, it's just like, come on, people. I mean, why? Why is common sense leaving in college or, or any sport, Jonathan? There's a lot of common sense by coaches. Do, do they do they get caught up in the moment and they go crazy, or or what's, what's happening? I mean, I see it all around. Coaches are choking away jobs. I mean, our coaches choking away games. It's not the players; it's the coaches. Yeah, I I, I definitely agree with you. I think there are uh, certain circumstances where you can just you see it happening. And you're, you you just wish you'd get down there and scream at the coach. You know what are you doing? Stop that! You know you're all, you're going the wrong way. Um, you know I, I think it's it's part of the situation of having been there before, tied with you know all of a sudden you you're just you're looking at the zeros and you want them to end. You almost feel like you shouldn't be there, and that's something you see, especially you know oh you know this team's going to upset this team. Well, all the all of a sudden, you know, little school tech is playing. Yeah, they're terrified out there. They're run. They're running the ball up the middle three plays in a row. They're gonna burn 
let's, uh, let's say a minute and a half, two minutes, every drive in the second half. Appalachia State, Tennessee. App State, Tennessee. What yep. happened in the second half of that game? App State clammed up and decided we're just going to run the ball. We're going to run. We're going to run. Tennessee's going to put ten guys in the box. We're going to keep running. Don't worry about it. We're, we're going to hold off. We're gonna... And Tennessee wasn't able to make a comeback because App State gave them that game. And, and it's, it's a shame that it happened. Um, you know, so you, you just see this a lot not with underdogs. Uh, just time and time again, whether you're an underdog or whether you're on the road. Great point. You remember Jacksonville State-Auburn, Jonathan? Jacksonville State had that game. They had Auburn dead to rights, and they they were the underdog by 40 points. They've never been in that situation. They didn't know how to – they didn't know what to do. And uh, Auburn should have lost that game, you know, as well as I do. Atlanta was an underdog in New England, but you know what? Jonathan, Atlanta was the better team, in my opinion. Like, if you look at all the players, you put them all together, Atlanta's got the better team. They do. But there's one thing. When you've got Tom Brady on your team, and I still hear people now saying that Tom Brady's not that good, Jonathan. He's not that great. Yes, he is. I mean, the guy, if you watch him carve up a team, that I mean, it takes greatness to come back from 28-3. to three. I mean, give Atlanta credit, they screwed up, but Tom Brady never quit in that game, Jonathan. Is that, are you putting him number one right now on your list of all time? Where do you have Tom Brady? You, you know, I, I hate doing all-time lists because the, the way that the style of game has changed. Um, I, I, let, me, let me say this. He's Tom Brady is one of the top two quarterbacks of his generation by far. It's him and Peyton Manning. And the Brady-Peyton Manning debate is somewhat similar to the Joe Montana-Dan Marino debate, except, you know, Peyton has two rings where Dan never got uh, one. Um, I will say Tom Brady is Joe Montana. He's, you know, you're going to look at him and you're like, well, he might not be – Statistically, the greatest quarterback in a game. He's not going to throw for 500 yards. Uh, they, I mean, he almost did the Super Bowl. He also threw the ball 40, <laughs> you know, 60 times, which is just he, – he completed three less passes and the Falcons were in place. I, I just need people to understand the insanity of this. He, he completed 42 passes. Atlanta ran 45 plays. That's insane. That hurts my head. But, you know, I, I would say Brady has cemented himself as the greatest postseason quarterback. I will give him that all around very difficult because you start arguing regular season and postseason, and obviously that debate comes down to, well, you need to look at the entirety of the team. It can't just be a quarterback, blah, blah, blah. When I look at the postseason, though, Tom Brady is the best postseason quarterback I've ever seen. You look at his, you look at his first Super Bowl where they almost took that game away. A lot of people forget against the Rams that they almost gave that game away. Uh, and, you know, then St. Louis tied it up, and he came right back, let him down the field, game-winning field goal. Uh, the, the Super Bowl against uh, Carolina, let him down the field, game-winning field goal. The Super Bowl against Philadelphia, where Philly never had a chance. You know, the, Tom Brady was just in control. You had the Super Bowl against the Giants in 07 for the perfect season where it wasn't Tom Brady's fault he got his ass kicked. Like, that offensive line just got manhandled. But what happened? 
Tom Brady led his team down the field to take the lead, and then it took a miracle for the Giants to get it back. Like, let's not forget that. Let's not forget that if Rob Gronkowski's healthy, they beat the Giants in 2011. There's no doubt in my mind that happens. You look at the Super Bowl against the Seahawks. What happened? He leads his team down the field for a game-winning touchdown. What happens is this one. I mean, Tom Brady in Super Bowls and in the postseason is the greatest quarterback I have seen by far. There is nobody. Matty Ice. No, 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 no. Matt, Matt Ryan don't have ice water in his veins unless Tom Brady donated it to him. Okay, Tom Brady is the stockholder, is the sole possession. Of, of ice water and veins at this point. Ain't nobody else can take that. They got to rent it from time. Yeah, he's, he's just clutch, man. And, and here's the you know, other example. You, you smell blood in the water. You got to attack. You got to kill. If you don't, if you don't want to, if you want to stop Tom Brady, you go up thirty-five to three. You know, you you, you don't stop at twenty-eight mm-hmm. to three and say, okay, well, let's just eat up all the clock or. Or let's throw the ball around. Let's not change anything because while you're not changing, I think people forget, Jonathan, that first half, Atlanta did, you know, they were up, but it wasn't as dominating as you think it was. I mean, it wasn't like they were just manhandling New England. It was big plays, pick six, fumble. I mean, it wasn't like they were just driving the ball down their throats. And I I just think if you're watching a game and you're betting on a game, you've got to look at how did we get here? And, and uh, I mean, I just can't. I still can't believe. I can't believe. I can't believe they scored 19 points in the fourth quarter. Atlanta did not do anything once they got the ball down to 21. That's it. Forget the whole game except that. Forget the the entire game except the play calling right there on that drive. That was just sick. That's. I feel bad for Falcons fans because I have to work with them, man. It's a bad week when you're at work and nobody will respond to emails because they're depressed. They're in there. They're sulking and depressed, and I don't know. But you know what? Well, another announcement to make since we've been gone, Jonathan. I had a little son enter the world. He'll be three weeks old tomorrow at twelve forty-one p.m. Twelve forty-one. So he looks like a linebacker to me. <laughs> Still gonna raise him to be a kicker, though. Yeah, I'm gonna raise him to be a kicker, like I told you. I'm not, you know. Let's let's get smart. Let's keep it smart. But, but yeah, man, we haven't had a show in a few weeks because I'm like, wow, that's a lot. To, to, who ever thought that a eight pound little creature could be so demanding? You know, he he is. He he has to eat, he has to sleep, and he has to poop and pee. That's about it. But it, <laughs> but it takes a lot of time. But but hopefully one day he can join us on the show. You know. And, and talk some sports with us, but you know, you know, another thing that's happened since we've been gone, Jonathan, was National Signing Day. Yeah, I mean, we can't we can't go without talking about what happened on National Signing Day and some coaching changes. I mean, Damian Craig getting fired from LSU, uh-huh. Tracy Rocker leaving Georgia right after Signing Day, and let's let's talk about Damian Craig just a second. What do you think about the move by Ed Orgeron? And I know you and I both have feelings about Damian Craig. He's coached at Florida State and Auburn, but don't you think it's dirty? And I know it happens, but but to, to fire really your best recruiter right the day after signing day, once these guys have built relationships with them and all of a sudden the next day, because I guarantee you those players weren't told 
hey, tomorrow, guys, after you sign, we're going to fire Damian Craig. What do you What do you think happened, and and do you think it was a good move by LSU to to get rid of probably their best recruiter? Oof. Uh, hey, they got rid of their two best recruiters. Um, uh, they got yeah, probably their two best. Uh, the other one I know caused a scuffle in the New Orleans area, but they they upgraded him, so nobody, everybody kind of stopped talking about it. But with uh, Craig, as we know, he's a great recruiter out of the state uh, when you recruit the state of Alabama. That's how Florida State got Jameis, uh, was Craig. Um, you know, and assistant coaches, their contracts don't run like a head coach and like a coordinator. Uh, the position coaches mainly, their contracts, for the most part, run till the day after signing day. And then, you know, then teams will make the decision on whether or not to retain a guy or not. That's something that I actually learned this year. Because um, there's so much movement. Yeah, so it, it seems like there's been a lot of movement after signing day. The day after signing day, I'm like, what, what, what's going on here? And I, I was informed by by some people that position coaches and, you know, like recruiting coordinators and, you know, guys of that nature, their contracts run out the day after signing day. And then it's, you know, figuring out what we're going to do there. I don't know where Damian lands because supposedly, he you know, he wants to be a head coach, but you can't even stick around as a, as a, as a position coach. Between, you know, you left Florida State because you wanted to be an OC. So you went to Auburn. Because it's your alma. Let's let's be honest. The only reason why you went to Auburn, that's a, that was a stupid move. You went from one team whose head coach is the offense coordinator to another team whose head coach is the offense coordinator. And then you went over to LSU, and you were a Les Miles holdover. You a good recruiter. Yeah, but Coach O's, you know, he doesn't really need you if you can't coach. Like, the whole point of his coaching staff is he wants the best coaches. Okay? He feels that yeah. recruiting will come naturally. All right, and his main job is to be a recruiter, and he knows that. That's the best part. That's why I think hiring Coach O and giving him the salary they did was the best thing they could have done because they're able to allocate the salary they would have given somebody like Jimbo to the assistant coaches, and now you have a great coaching staff knowing his strong suit in coaching. It's recruiting. It's building relationships. Uh, I don't know if Craig lands on a seat anywhere. I really don't, unless, unless it's a, uh, like Troy or someplace like that. He's not getting an offensive coordinator job. He probably shouldn't be a receivers coach. So maybe he takes over as a quarterback coach at, like, I know North Texas has seen their staff get poached um, so uh, you know, the past couple of weeks, so maybe that happens. Uh, but I just I, I just don't I don't. Bring him back to Auburn. Bring him to Auburn and let him recruit and tell him you'll – you can help with the quarterbacks. You can help with the receivers. We're just going to float you around. But you use Damian Craig to, to recruit. I mean, college football is about you have to have great coaches, but you have to have recruiters as well. And the way he left Auburn, I think, was kind of it was kind of sketchy, wasn't it? He just left and went to LSU with less miles. And and I don't know why he left Auburn. I, I, I do know he didn't like Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn didn't like him. But if you can recruit, so my, my worst fear is he's gonna land up. He's gonna land with Nick Saban over there in Alabama. That's my biggest fear mm-hmm. because the guy can recruit Alabama, like you said. I mean, it's he gets those players that are 
in between Florida State and LSU, and and it's just I don't know. You've got to make room for him. You got to make room for him, Jonathan. You've got to. If you're Auburn, you and especially you know, you're Gus, right? You know the school's going to let you throw around the extra fifty thousand, let's say. Um, you know, you, you you might as well. I, I just you know, you utilize every advantage you can. Who knows? Maybe he winds up back in Tallahassee. I know you know Jimbo uh, has ideas of um, adding another uh, member to the coaching staff. So we're going to expand from, what is it, nine assistants to ten. Um, so we're going to see how uh, how that goes. And, and where, where, you know, because, I mean, we've still got to wait till what is it, April? Yeah, April, when a lot of a lot of the uh, the new rules as far as coaching and all that kick in and the uh, coaching staffs expand. And once that happens, I think you're going to see a little more movement. I just. Look, I look at the Tracy Rocker situation over in Georgia, and look, you are He's a lazy recruiter, got... by the way. Oh, Tracy? Yeah, he, he will not recruit, by the way, just so you know. Well, I mean, you heard why he got fired, right? No, I haven't yet. I'm out of this world. So, so Aubrey <laughs> Solomon, no, I don't blame you on that. Uh, Aubrey Solomon was a five-star defensive, five-star, four-star, whatever, blue-chip defensive tackle recruit at Georgia. And it was he, he was committed to Michigan. He decommitted to Michigan because of something really stupid and petty. Um, and it essentially came down to Georgia and Michigan. And Tracy Rocker, for some odd reason, got in tour with Aubrey Solomon's mama. He got apparently it got it became a nasty argument, and right then and there, Aubrey Solomon recommitted to Michigan, and that was, from what I understand, the reason why Kirby Smart told him, "You you got to get up and go. We can't handle this. Uh, you know, you just cost us the best player in the state. Are you high?" <laughs> yeah, and, and let's talk a little bit. We're going to talk about Florida State in a minute. I want to talk about some underrated recruiting classes in this this one, and Auburn's one of them, Jonathan. I went through with a couple of people over a conference call, some Auburn alums, some Auburn people, some one trustee, and I'm not going to mention names, but going through this list of people Auburn got, I don't know how impressed you were with them. And, and you know rivals, you can't look at them because they, they don't give the stars because they're written it's by Alabama. But I go through needs. I go through the people that they signed, Jonathan, and this Auburn team really did good at, at building depth in, in key, key areas that they're going to need to make a push for a, for a playoff. You look at the linebacker position and the offensive line position of Auburn this year, man, they are – they are loaded, and Calvin Ashley was the gem of that class on the offensive line, a five-star out of Washington. But, Jonathan, you tell me. I'm an Auburn guy, but you tell me what you thought of Auburn's class. And I know after I made some comments to you a week or two ago, I think you probably looked into it a little more. But what you think about Auburn's ability to really have this recruiting class sewn up with a couple surprises on signing day, but it looks good to me. What is it? How, excuse me, how does it look to you? Well, you got the best quarterback in this recruiting class. 
I mean, granted, you know, you don't have four years of eligibility with him, um, but he has, he's got the best court. Yeah, I mean, exactly. He has three, and he, he's going to play right away. He's already got college experience. So you got the best quarterback in this class by far. Uh, and that, that that was huge, especially considering that, you know, he's a dual threat. Oh, that kind of fits your system. Um, your your <laughs> offensive line class is stupid. I mean, that's just between Calvin Ashley, uh, Nick Brahms, who's, you know, a Florida kid. I told you all, y'all need to get up out of my state. Uh, Austin uh, Troxel, <laughs> the boy from uh, Madison. You know, between those three, you got you got a damn good class of, of offensive linemen. Um, that's always, you know, Ashley looks like your prototypical left tackle. He does. And the, uh, yeah, and six, the red six, shirts, six, too. I, I, I think you got to look at the red shirts that, that all, are the people Auburn has coming back, plus the red shirts that just got stronger and bigger and, and more accustomed to the offense, too, mm-hmm. with the offensive line. I wanted four I, offensive linemen. We got three, right. I think. Yeah, I mean, lo- losing – you know, you lose Carl Lawson in the draft, and and, and obviously that's going to hurt. Uh, but Marcavius Bryant, I think, is somebody that he could step in and contribute right away. You know, he's going to need to hit the weight room. I, I want to say he's under 230. Um, but, you know, I thought he was a very, very talented prospect. Um, you know, you, you picked up that boy out of uh, McCullough. Um, Malcolm Askew, who you know, I've heard he's either going to play a you know, receiver or cornerback. I don't know. I'm not tied in as far as that goes to know exactly which one. But, I mean, the kid's a hell of an athlete. And that's something that impresses me. I, I, I appreciate guys who you know, can play multiple positions like that. I think Auburn had a very good class. You know, I, I use two four seven rankings. And let me pull them up really quick. And they have you guys at number nine. Um and considering how well and how balanced it seems that this uh, this year was as far as recruiting, uh, that's I mean that's impressive to be in the to be in the top ten. Um, actually, anybody after Auburn, I mean Florida finished tenth and they had one top one hundred player. So yeah, yeah, it was kind of the top nine. But I'm gonna tell you the best player that you're gonna see come out of this. Class, I think, is besides the quarterback Stidham, is the Moultrie kid, the linebacker. This guy is something going to be something special. He's right out of Birmingham, and and you look at at their needs. You know, they didn't need to sign a ton of running backs, Jonathan, or anything like that. They're loaded there for a little while. They did get that Barrett kid, four star out of Tampa. But, you know, they, 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 you have to get somebody. You know, you can't just assume that you don't – you have to go out and get somebody. I'm so I'm so happy that they went and got that Juco kid, Sal Canella, out of Arizona. He's a six-foot-five tight end. That's something that's been missing out of Auburn's offense since Lutzi's been gone. And um, I think having that tied in there is going to be huge. And just – I mean, again, Auburn, the difference between them being in the playoff this year – you know, in 2016 and losing the Super Bowl is quarterback, a healthy quarterback. And you believe there's still Auburn fans out there saying that Sean White's going to beat him out? I mean, are you kidding me right now by saying that? If, if, if Sean White's a starter game one, we'll lose to Georgia Southern. I'll tell you that right now. But um, I wanted to talk about that class. And Florida, you know, the, the way they came, they were – 
they were dead to rise. They did have a good signing day. But, again, you're Florida, and you get zero five-stars, Jonathan. You, you get none. And, and there's no way – and I know rivals. Let me go to 247. That's, that's more accurate than rivals. But, but to be – I just don't understand. McElwain, with all of the defensive players gone now, right? Must-have mm-hmm. players are gone. We'll, we'll agree with that. Rivals has Florida ranked ahead of Auburn in recruiting. It's a joke. I mean, I mean, I don't understand it. But you didn't go get the needs. You didn't get those kind of caliber players you needed to fulfill and to go. Florida sucked on offense for the last several years, for five years. What did they do, Jonathan, to make you believe that this year Florida is going to be improved on offense? And not only that, what did they do to, to maintain any kind of defensive consistency? Because you, you don't have those blue chippers on defense anymore. And that's the only reason Florida won three games is because their defense was good. And they gave, you know, set up tur- turnovers, fill position, and things like that. They don't have that anymore. So where does Florida go? And they can't even get a five-star with how many is in the state of Florida. I mean, it's just um, unbelievable. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> oh, mm. This is not a good recruiting class. I, I so let, let's let's look at it this way, okay? You were able to keep some kids in the state like you wanted. I mean, cool, congrats. Um, you know, they, they finally got away from the Urban Meyer let's recruit everybody kind of a thing. <laughs> they took in a quarterback named Jake Allen, who's supposed to be able to compete for uh, the starting job. Three-star kid out of St. Thomas Aquinas. Um, I don't know if a three star is exactly who you want competing for the job at Florida. I mean, you know, that's not it's not the end all be all, but you're Florida. Come on, uh, they took a lot more three stars than I expected them to. Um, you go, you look at their four stars, well, and you, know, you you have the offensive tackle from Booker T. And they need help along the offensive line, so that makes sense to me. Okay, you have the guard. Uh, Slayton from Fort Lauderdale out of American Heritage. I, I really, I thought that kid uh, very talented. Um, you know, was definitely one of the guys that I would have liked to, to have seen Florida State take if they were going to take any offensive linemen. Um, you know, they they picked up. All right, so James Robinson. I right, so, you know, you have Zachary Carter, the defensive end out of Hillsborough. I've heard good things about him. Um, you know, you have Henderson out of Columbus. It is what you know, and uh, Stewart out of McDonough. And Wilson out of American Air. So you have the three four star corners. And, you know, it's DBU. We'll see how that goes. Uh, I've heard mixed reviews on Stewart as far as if he's going to play corner or safety. Uh, because the nice thing about all three of those guys is they're all at least six foot. But let me talk about James Robinson. So James Robinson, if that name rings a bell, this is the kid that took his official visit to Ohio State got busted with some pot, and then decided to hop on Twitter and talk about how all all the drugs guys up at OSU were doing, right? So everybody dropped him. Ohio State said, no, you're you're crazy. Uh, Florida said, we're going to have to pull it. Clemson ran away. Like, this kid lost every scholarship offer he had after that tweet because everybody looked at him and said, wow, what a cancer. Okay, kid out of Lakeland, he's 6'4", he's very talented, big receiver, right? Now, for those that don't know, Lakeland is a, is a UF stronghold. Like, that's where the Pouncey Twins came out of. 
uh, even though they should have gone to Florida State, but let me get me started. Uh, Depth came out of there. Ahmad Black came out of there. I want to say Rainey was out of there, too. I mean, if you look at those national championship teams, they were pulling kids from Lakeland left and right. Now, the problem with the, with Lakeland is that sometimes you have to worry about character concerns like James Robinson. Uh, you have the Pouncey twins with their issues. Jeff Depp's beat up on his girlfriend, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, you know, another player out of Lakeland is Ray Lewis, and we all know about the murder trial um, in Atlanta. Uh, he went to Miami. but So this Robinson kid, nobody thought he was going to sign. It, 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 it was belief that he was going to have to go JUCO. And McElwain, I don't know if he felt like if he had the pressure from the school, because I know at first the school didn't want to take him, but if they looked at the recruiting class and decided that they needed him because he would be the second best prospect in their class. Ah, yeah. Um, I mean, that, if Florida's got one top 100 kid, they have one. How many? Do, how many does Auburn have? How many does Auburn have? Uh, Ashley, who is top thirty. Uh, then you have Moultrie was one hundred and three. Uh, and then Stenham they don't have in the regular one hundred because he's a JUCO. But Stenham would be a top one hundred prospect. Yeah, I think a couple more would be too, but. You know, Florida is just, I mean, this is the drop-off that, you know, you even though you've been to two SEC championship games in a row, you've been humiliated. You've been humiliated in the regular season with your some of your performances. You know, you, know, you look at Auburn at nine and Florida at ten, right? The difference in these two classes, Florida's going to need these all these guys to come in right away and play. Auburn doesn't. Auburn doesn't. The only thing they need is Stidham, maybe Ashley. You know, maybe get some depth somewhere. That's the difference. That's how far Auburn is ahead of Florida right now. And I don't think people realize that, like, when you're looking at it. I wish Auburn could slide over to the east for a few years. It would be, it'd be pretty nice to be able to go over to the east. But Florida, you're Florida. I thought McElwain was some great recruiter, Jonathan. I thought he was – he was great. That's what people. That's what Florida fans talk about. How great he was, and to finish number ten in your Florida, that's like Auburn finishing thirty fifth. I mean, really, that's how bad it is. It's not the same. Like Notre Dame's at eleven. That's terrible for them. I mean, you know, but but we expected a little drop off. Kevin Sumlin, Jonathan at twelve. He's just declining. Just that team is just declining when it comes to talent. You don't see these. NFL receivers all over the place anymore. Miami with Mark Rick, got to be happy if you're a Miami fan to finish number 13. But I guess one of the surprises to me, Jonathan, Stanford at 14, I was pretty impressed with their class. Three five-stars, six four-stars, and five. They only signed 14 players. But look what they got out of those 14 players. That That's pretty amazing. And, and, and you can't forget about Ole Miss, the uh, – down to 30 all of a sudden. I guess the bag man was put on hold, wasn't he, for a, for a year? The bag man had to – while the NCAA is down there looking around, <laughs> the bag man couldn't come out. So did you, did you hear stuck at 30. <laughs> Did you hear what Hugh Freeze's comment? It was a penalty. Yeah. He called this recruiting class a punishment, penalty, whatever. That's just – that's so bad. How, how you, I mean, come on. 
I mean, if, if you just committed the old Miss, you've got to sit there for a second and go, wait a minute. What did he say? Mm. Yeah, I know. I know. I mean, you you just got outcruited by Kentucky in the SEC, Arkansas, Mississippi State, South Carolina, Tennessee. Mm-hmm. I mean, you you got out recruited by all these guys, and you've been you've been in there in the top five almost for the last few years. So, so is 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 it really a penalty? Are players looking at it like, oh God, there are coaches using it against them like they're going to get the death penalty? Are they finally wising up a little bit and saying, look, Hugh Freeze can't coach. And no matter how much talent he has, he's going to, the best he's ever going to do is nine and three. I think that's what players started realizing. I, I, I think, honestly, it has more to do with the sanctions that are coming. I think it does. Uh, the fact that you can't really get the coaching staff you want because there are a lot of coaches who won't take that job right now. They're afraid of what the sanctions are going to be and how that, you know, the, you know, the new offensive coordinator at Ole Miss, they, they swung and missed on their top couple of candidates because they looked at it and said, mm, that's not really resume building for me because there's a strong rumble that Ole Miss is going to get slapped real hard. Like, USC thought they got punked, so Ole Miss might just, just one up that. Um, yeah, it's bad. It's going to be bad. Bad. Now, 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 now I, 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 just, I was poking around, and I, I noticed something. All right. Did you see who finished number 26? 25th? Uh, 26. Texas? Yeah. Now, I looked at that and I said, ah, you know, that, that's, that's different. I understand, though, with Herman's first year, you, you only have a month to recruit. He's probably trying to make sure uh, that he gets kids that he really wants and he's just not trying to fill a class. And afterwards he said, we wanted to make sure we were getting kids that we really wanted. Because he looked at his first recruiting class under Urban Meyer in Ohio State in that short time span. I think he said only three of the guys out of that class that was a top five class actually contributed at Ohio State. And he goes, you know, so we wanted to make sure that we didn't just load up on depth players, if you will. He's like, we wanted to get guys that we think would actually play for us. Now, what I did is I'm like, let me look at the state of Texas's top recruits and see if, you know, a lot if they spread out over the state, maybe they stay in the Big 12 or how that went. The top seven kids, did not go to a school in Texas or a school in the Big 12. Three went to Ohio State, two went to LSU, one to Florida State, one to Stanford. Texas A&M got number eight. Notre Dame, Texas Tech, Alabama, LSU, TCU, USC, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Stanford, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Texas. Texas got the number 20 recruit in the state of Texas. Wow. That wow. is unacceptable. Now, again, Herman's first recruiting cycle, he was in a little bit of a pinch. A lot of the recruits kind of backed out. Uh, once Charlie Strong got got kicked to the curb because a lot of them did like Charlie Strong. But the fact that we only saw one, two, three kids out of the top 19, four out of the top 20, stay in the state of Texas. 
that is an indictment on the college football in the state of Texas right now because we understand Baylor, right, and why Baylor can't get kids. And you understand mm-hmm. why schools like Rice and Houston and SMU, why they're not in there. That's fine, okay. Texas Tech, all right, fine. You're really more of like a high-end mid-major. All right, cool. But A&M, really? A&M got one kid? TCU got one kid? That blows my mind. That blows my mind. And that tells me there is actually something wrong in the state. For some reason, these high school coaches in Texas aren't yep. taking the coaches the high school coaches. at these universities. That's, it. That's exactly right. The high school coaches are steering them away. And do you blame them? No, because none of these teams are really relevant. I mean, TCU has you know, a couple good years, and that you know, they had the you know a miserable season. And they, I could say that definitely you could point at recruiting, and they've also lost some of their uh, some of their better assistants. Uh, Texas A&M, great first half team, terrible second half team. Uh, but you know, it, it, you know, and it's funny. I also bring this up because Major Alva White got the head coaching job at Houston. He was promoted. And people were like, hmm, that's weird, that's different, but okay. One of the, the from what I, uh, SB Nation re- released a, a, a report, and it was a bunch of emails from high school coaches in the state of Texas, emailing the athletic director and the president and everybody at Houston, saying, we want Major Applewhite. We love Major Applewhite. We think he he's a fine coach, and he's somebody that we are more than willing to send our young men to. Major Alphabet got hired by the high school coaches in the state of Texas. Think about that for a minute. If you ever doubt the power of high school football in Texas, there it is. They literally hired a coach, and they fired one in Charlie Strong because they did not like Charlie Strong because his first recruiting trip as a head coach of Texas was to Florida. He did not take a trip in-state first. Wow. And that guarantees who's. Yeah, they're trying to show who's really in charge in Texas and it's high school football. But but if, if Herman comes in this year and doesn't perform well and next year you see the same thing on the recruiting trail, it's gonna be bad. I mean I would think Texas A and M would load up in a time like this, but they didn't. You know, everybody else takes the state of Texas away. You know, Georgia's coach Rocker got fired because he let the best player in Georgia slip away to Michigan. You can't do it. You've got to keep these people at home. USC has no problems keeping their players at home. You know, they they keep it. Florida State gets their pick of the litter out of the state of Florida. LSU, for the most part, will get their homegrown people, and for some reason, Texas can't. But, Jonathan, I'm, I'm confused, and help me a little bit. Like, I'm seeing Tennessee again. They finished 17th after signing 28 last year they signed 25 why is it these guys like michigan and tennessee are signing 30 kids and auburn's only getting 23 and florida state getting 24 why is that bama only signed 20 or bama signed 29 how are they doing that how did bama sign 29 players and all these people are signing 30 and then you see clemson with 14 you see auburn with 23 what happened well, so it, it depends on on your roster. All right, so everybody's hard capped at eighty five scholarship players. So you're essentially allowed to play with that number of scholarship kit uh, that you know whatever your remainder is there. Um, you know, so Tennessee had twenty eight open scholarships, so they got they went ahead and grabbed twenty eight kids. 
Uh, you know, usually they try to limit you to 25, but if you can sneak in more, you can sneak in more. Um, what is amazing is that if you look at Tennessee's class, they signed 23 three-star kids. That should tell you the state of Tennessee recruiting right now. They just can't hang um, with everybody else. Where, you know, you look at their <laughs> average recruit rank, and it's, uh, you know, an 87. Whereas you look at a school like Clemson, who signed 14, you know, who finished 16th, they only signed 14 kids because they're returning a lot of kids. Yet they finished with an average recruit rank of 92. Now that's, that's a huge difference in, in, in recruiting ranking. You know, Stanford, 14 kids, 90, an average rating of 92. Um, you know, and then you have Florida who finished 10th, and they finished with an 88. So you can kind of weed out which classes were, you know, if you will, depth classes and which were uh, good classes. Now, Alabama, and, and this is why I said, why, why do we even bother? Jerez Parks was a top 100 uh, recruit. Great sure. And he great, he's gray-shirting. So he'll get his scholarship in the spring. It's going to count um, this year, but he's going to get his scholarship in the spring. And, uh, I mean, that blows my mind. Because as soon as I heard yeah. that Jerez Parks got his scholarship pulled from Alabama because they didn't have room, I'm like, oh, he's, going, he's coming to Florida State. You know who pays it, You know who pays that scholarship, don't you? The, the Big Elephant Club or whatever, the Red Elephant Club. They pay the scholarships of the gray shirts, so that guy's getting a full rise, not coming out of the school. It's coming out of the boosters, and you you mark that down. That's exactly right. That's the truth. If you can get a gray shirt, top one hundred player to gray shirt, I mean, like he could have went to Florida State, Auburn, wherever he wanted to go, but yeah, he decides to gray shirt at Alabama. And you tell me. He's not going to be – he's going to pay his own school until then? Come on. If you believe that, then hang up the phone now. Quit listening to my show because you're a moron, and I don't like morons. Did but you see his Alabama, recruit video? Did you see his commitment video? Yeah. He, yeah, he went he to Paris. Pride, didn't he? He went to Paris. He committed to Alabama and Paris. That's a boosters apologizing to him. Say, kid, we'll make it up to you. Just stick with us. I mean, anybody else would have lost that kid that day. Anybody yep. else. Alabama kept him. Ohio State signed the monster class again. I mean, great job by Urban Meyer. Uh, Georgia, Kirby Smart. But let me tell you this, Georgia fans out there, you can you can recruit all you want. You've always had solid recruiting classes. Kirby Smart's never going to win the SEC. He's never going to be in the playoffs. You can have all the talent you want. Kirby Smart's kind of like Ed Ordron to me, Will Muschamp. They're never going to get over the hump. Florida State, man, they, they loaded up. I looked at, at some of these players that they got. I think they're better than sticks, if you want my honest opinion. Cam Akers and early and early, I mean, just – Cam Akers and Marvin Wilson and and Labron, they just made up that class. They? I mean, those three players right there were just. And then you get this uh, defensive end that's six six two fifty. I can't pronounce his last name. Joshua Kendo. I mean, my Kendo. God, the rich get richer. And Florida State just loaded up again, and it's it's just that's why I put Florida State. You know, we do the win predictions and. 
and maybe I'm dumb for even doing it, but I really think Florida State, you've got to put them favorite in the playoffs this year out of the ACC. Clemson will have uh, a good team by the end of the year, but it will be too late. you got to put Auburn up in there or in, in the conversation of playoffs this year because they play Georgia and Bama at home this year, and they play Clemson early in the year. So there's two teams, Florida State and Auburn, and I'm not saying that because you and I are on the phone together, but Oklahoma, if you if you look at Oklahoma, what they recruited, what they've been recruiting with Mayfield coming back, there's no excuse whatsoever that Oklahoma doesn't go undefeated, win the Big 12, Jonathan, and represent the Big 12 in the playoffs. Because that Oklahoma team that, that pounced Auburn uh, in New Orleans, that's a very good football team. And we all know when you have a quarterback, a dynamic quarterback like Auburn, Florida State, and Oklahoma have, and you have a bunch of talent around it, good things can happen. So those three teams, Alabama's always a favorite. Forgive me for – I mean, I'm going to just be honest with you. But but there's there's some trouble in paradise there at Alabama, Jonathan. They're losing – all of a sudden their offensive coordinator leaves to go to the Atlanta Falcons. A couple of other coaches, I believe, left. What is Nick Saban going to do about the OC position? What is he going to do about recruiting? I think they lost one of their top recruiters. They took a job at Arizona State, I believe it was. So what's going on in Tuscaloosa? I put Alabama second or third in the West this year, just early, looking at it early, based off their schedule and and based off some coaching changes. Yeah, I mean – you know, you know, you lose Lane Kiffin, which you anticipated, and I, you know, that was something that we all were waiting for. But to lose Arkeesian when he only coached one game, uh, I think that was definitely something that was not expected. Um, definitely was not expected. So now, you know, you're looking for an offensive coordinator, and people are like, oh, Chip Kelly, Chip Kelly, it's not going to happen. Stop it. Nick Saban, uh, I think now that he – truly will get to handpick somebody. You know, he, he did the whole spread option, if you will, let's have fun, open up the offense thing. And, yeah, it won him a title, but I, it, he's going to look back to go to somebody who's going to go with the same route that he's used to, which is a nice shotgun power, I mean, a high-formation power offense. Uh, whether or not that fits Jalen Hurts' um, skill set is a totally different matter. I mean, you know, if he feels that they need to keep going with this offense, um, to get because it fits uh, hurts, then Mark Helfrich might be the guy that gets the job. Um, you know, considering that's somebody that I think even after a good year at Alabama, a one good year, two good years, wouldn't get a head coaching gig right away. I think um, you know it's it's not like Chip Kelly where college teams are you know are, are they really want him. Um, whereas Mark Helfrich, you got fired from Oregon. You're going to need some time to to rebuild your brand. Um, now. I want to talk about Georgia really quick with their recruiting class because they signed 20 blue-chip commits. And for those who don't know, blue-chips are four and five stars. All right, so they signed 20. The rest of the SEC East signed 20, 20, and Florida (laughs) had 11 of them. Okay, so that tells you how Georgia separated themselves completely from the rest of the conference when it came to recruiting, and you knew the rest of the SEC East was going to pick up commits because Georgia just was going to lose spots at some point. I mean, that we saw that happen um, with Leonard Warner, who committed to Florida State, a blue-chip linebacker from the state of Georgia. He picked Florida State because, A, Georgia um, ran out of room for him. And you know, I don't know if he got into Stanford or not. There was 
uh, word that if he had been accepted to Stanford, he would have committed there. He committed to Florida State. There were some weird rumors about the accepted Stanford thing that they were going to look to that on the day after signing day if he was accepted. It was a really weird situation. A lot of these coming to Florida State. Uh, but you know, Georgia had a great recruiting class by far. Mm-hmm. And it'll be interesting to see what happens on the field here. You know, I, I think – I think if you look across it, LSU had a good class. Did they get everybody that they wanted? Of course not. Nobody ever does. But I think LSU put together a really good class. Now, I mean, I'm going to be biased here, but I love Florida State's class. You know, one of the worries is the fact that we, you know, we had three top ten running backs. Cam Akers, believe it or not, actually played a lot of quarterback in high school in the state of Mississippi. Uh, But I, I, I love getting Cam Akers, thinking he's a dynamic player. Josh Kane, though. I think, is an excellent defensive end, was worried he was actually going to commit to Penn State. He was one of those guys who committed to Maryland um, early in the recruiting cycle. Well, Jonathan, uh, Jonathan, it's good that you get that many running backs because this day and age, you know, but you don't want to wear these guys down, and that's what Jimbo's probably telling them. Look, you're going to get your touches. Mm-hmm. You're going to the NFL, but you're going to be fresh when you get there. You're not going to be beat the hell and back. Well, it's like, all right, so if you look at Jimbo, uh, and, and, the, and when we won the championship, we had a two-back system. It was Freeman and it was Wilder. Wilder was your power back. Freeman uh, was, if you will, scat back. Uh, he was more of your uh, elusive speed, uh, pass catcher running back uh, that we had. And it, it wasn't for the fact that Dalvin Cook was as amazing as he was. We would have ran more of a two-back system with Dalvin and Patrick, whereas Jaquaz Patrick is more of a power back. Uh, Cam Akers is definitely not a power back. Uh, he, he, he's elusive. Uh, he, he, he makes the cuts. He's got some speed. The power back in this class is actually a kid who's not that far from where I live right now, and that's Zaquandre White, running back at a Fort Myers. Uh, six foot, I want to say he's about 210, 215. I actually have classes, believe it or not, with kids who played with him and who know him. So I've been getting interesting uh, reports on Zaquandre as far as how, who he is as a person and, how, you know, his temperament and things like that. Um, you know, and, and I, you know, you look at this class for Florida State. Cam Akers is, is gold. Cam goes gold. Stanford Samuels, if he hadn't gotten nicked up, probably would have been a five-star. He's a 6-2 corner, and he's an actual corner. He's not a safety. His, he's a legacy recruit. His daddy played for us. Um, some of you might remember his hit on his dad's hit on Roscoe Parrish, that actually Roscoe. Roscoe had internal bleeding from the collision. Uh, if not, I'll post it on our Facebook page just because it's one of my favorite Florida yeah. State plays. Uh, Cyrus Fagan's a great safety commit. Bailey Hawkman, who's a pro-style quarterback we picked up out of Power Springs, Georgia. Uh, high, floor, uh, high floor, low ceiling, if you will. I think he's a good quarterback prospect. Uh, you know, he's not otherworldly. Uh, but at the at the same time, I think he's somebody that is, you need in the program. I think he can actually start. Trey McKinney, the tight end that we flipped from Oregon, another one of those kids from the ING Academy, um, very athletic tight end, definitely essentially the same build as Nick O'Leary. Uh, Adonis Thomas, a lot of people should remember him. He was a linebacker that originally was at Alabama, and he went to a JUCO and, and wound up transferring to Florida State. 
Uh, I think that's something that we needed. Marvin Wilson, Mr. You know, Honey Fried Chicken himself. That boy, when he committed to Florida State, my day was made. I was smiling, giggling. I was happy as can be. Um, you know, definitely the best defensive tackle prospect in this class. Uh, I, I think that he's somebody that contribute day one. Uh, DJ Matthews is a 5'11 uh, receiver. He's a little underweight. That's about 160 pounds. Uh, right, He doesn't want to be called a slot receiver, but that's probably what he's going to start his career doing. Um, reminds me a little bit of the Shad Green. Thompson Abeldeen, the four-star safety out of Concord, North Carolina. Um, big kid, 6'3", 210. They're wondering if he's going to play safety or linebacker. Uh, that's somebody that I love. Jalen J- yeah, Parks and Corey Durden are from Gainesville, like right there in Gainesville. Uh, probably the top two defensive tackles in the state of Florida. And they both committed to Florida State because both of them, they're, they're cousins, and their parents uh, went to Florida State. So it, it, that was kind of a funny uh, process there. Uh, Tamori and Terry is a receiver, six foot four, out of uh, Ashburn, Georgia, who we got, we, he you know, committed late to us, and once he committed, everybody started applying heat. Uh, Ashburn is a, a, a small area, uh, you know, very rural area. Uh, we also got his high school teammate, Ontario Wilson, is a six-foot corner. Uh, both kids who, if they had been in bigger spotlights, I think might have been four stars. Um, you know, Alexander Marshall, you know, Florida State got six kids who were the number one kids in the state, and Alexander Marshall's one of them. He's a tight end out of Maine. He's six seven two forty. He's a he's a, a three star prospect. When you watch his film, you're like, oh, well, Maine doesn't turn out good prospects. But when you watch his film, this is a kid who dominated, and that's what you expect a good player to do in an area like that. He has to dominate. This kid dominated. Uh, and then you know the the one kid that I love that we picked up uh, is uh, Declan Brooks as Derek Brooks's son. You know, anytime you can you can get another legacy recruit yeah. in there. He's a he's a three star kid. He's probably our lowest rated prospect according to all the services. But the kid knows the game. He's smart. I I, I mean I love our recruiting class. I think we did a, a bang up job. I would have loved to have grabbed a couple guys here and there. We did. We only picked up one offensive lineman because, in all honesty, we picked up so many last year. We didn't need to pick up a lot this year. Yeah. Um. So I well, mean, that's what just, you do. That's what you do. You, yeah, you have to you stagger them a little bit. You have to you have to stagger them and and uh, you know if I had to make an early projection, Jonathan. And this is early. Laugh at me if you want. This may be nailing him. I think Ohio State's the the class of the Big Ten next year. I think Florida State's the ACC. I think Auburn could get in there in the SEC. And I think Oklahoma in the Big Twelve. That could be your four playoff teams right there. I mean USC out of the Pac-12, depending on how they do. LSU, how do they do at quarterback? Alabama, how do they react? To everything. There's a. I mean, there's a couple of conferences to me. The ACC and the Big 12 are locks. I mean, Florida State and Oklahoma, those are two locks right now to me to be in the playoff. If I had to, as Colin Coward says, that's your 401K. Those two teams, I bet my 401K on. that. And, you know, if if Florida State even lost to Alabama that first game, it's not going to matter if they went out and they they go. But could you imagine if Florida State beats Alabama that first game, Jonathan, you're pumped right now. Where's that game being played at again? Is it Jacksonville or is it? Atlanta. It's going to be the first football game. Or in Atlanta. 
How about you? How about you come down? We'll go to the game together. How about that? We'll I'll find us tickets. We'll go to that Alabama Florida State game. How about that? <laughs> would Would you come? Yeah. Would, would Would you come if I got you a ticket? Would you come? Oh, I I find a way. I mean, as of right now, I should be a student at Florida State. I'm waiting on um, admissions to get back, but all things looking the way they are, I'll actually be a Florida State Seminole uh, student. Uh, so, of course, I'd love to try and find a way to get to that game, and it won't be that far of a drive for me. Well, I'm going to the I'm going to the Clemson game week two. I'm going up to Clemson. I've never been there, so I'll be going to that game. Hopefully, that's one of Stidham's Heisman moments. But I mean, you can you can mm-hmm. go. College football is not a secret. I mean, it's it's recruiting. It's who you have coming back, and it's really your offensive line, your defensive line, your quarterback. So I mean, it's not rocket science. It's just can you time it? Can you avoid the injury bug? But I'm excited for college football. We're in February. I mean, can you imagine I'm going to the Auburn spring game? You know why? Because I want to see Stidham up close in person because that spring game is very important. He needs to come out and dominate. When is spring game for Florida State? Is it in April? When is your spring game? Do you know? Um, uh, you know, they just announced it. Um, I should know this off the top of my head. April 8th. Okay. Ours is, let's see, I'm trying to see, but I love going. And, and if you're ESPN right now, you want to pick up Auburn, don't you? With Stidham coming in, don't you want to televise that game? It's April 9th. It'll be, I guess they, they have a, a time. It says the day after now, King Auburn announced the Tigers 2017 spring game, April 8th. Um, I'm just trying to see who's going to televise it, but Stidham is so important to this this team right now because with Barrett, people are talking about him, Auburn's guy. He'll never play at Auburn, man. The guy doesn't have it in between the years. I don't know why we keep wasting scholarships, but uh, Stidham better be the man. If Stidham is not the man in this year, then we, I'm not going to say anything else about John Franklin III, I promise. Uh, Auburn's a 6-6 six and six ball club if Stidham doesn't perform. And I think recruiting for Auburn to put together a top 10 class, Jonathan, is amazing considering, you know, Malzahn, this could be his last year. But if Stidham comes in there and they and they win 10 or 11 ball games, it's going to be real big for recruiting. But I'm just ready to see it on the field, man. I'm glad we don't open with Clemson. I'm glad we open with, with somebody else at home just to maybe get that win under your belt. You don't know how that first game goes, but – it's always good. When you're Florida State and playing Alabama, that's great for recruiting. It's also great for your workouts and everything. You know, Florida State's going to be hitting it harder in the weight room, aren't they, knowing that they're getting to play Alabama to start the season rather than Citadel or somebody. I just think it gives you a better energy when you play good teams to start the year. Don't you? Oh, oh I, I agree. I, I definitely think that um, opening the year with Alabama – you know, where they're they're going to be a tough opponent. There's no doubt about that. Um, but it, it, it's definitely it's a test. And it, it gets your players ready for the season. You, you figure out where you're at, what the expectation really should be. You know, because, I mean, as much as I love starting with Ole Miss last year, the, you know, the unfortunate reality was Ole Miss wasn't what Ole Miss was supposed to be. So that game 
wound up being they wound up being horrible for our expectations because you know all of a sudden we're number two, we get drilled by by Louisville, and you're like, where did that come from? And then we saw the season went along, and you're like, okay, maybe you know I, we should have seen coming. Whereas Alabama, you know that they're going to be one of the better teams in the country. They're going to be without a doubt a top ten, top five team. You know, even Bama's four point favorite. Bama's Bama's a four point favorite in that game opened up, and that's, that's what you would expect, right? I mean, you'd expect them to open up a favorite in that game. Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna tell you a butt kicking, Jonathan. I'm gonna tell you a butt. I'm gonna tell you a butt kicking coming at uh, Michigan and Florida playing Texas. Michigan's gonna kill them. Michigan's gonna kill Florida. In, in that game, I mean, the, this week, this year, the weekend's good, but it's not like this past year. You got Virginia Tech, West Virginia. You got NC State, South Carolina, Texas A&M, UCLA, Temple, Notre Dame, Maryland, Texas, California, NC, Ohio State, Indiana. I mean, you got Florida, Michigan, LSU, BYU, Tennessee, Georgia Tech, and Atlanta. So they're playing two games in Atlanta. Like, is yeah. it Georgia Dome or is it going to be in Georgia Tech? Um, if I'm not mistaken, that game is actually going to be in the Georgia Dome, um, whereas we're, we're going to play in the Mercedes. Oh, yeah. That's right. My bad. My bad. I, you just said that a minute ago, and it just slipped my mind again. Um, yeah, I can't wait for that first weekend to see – because I like to go to games where – where my team's not involved sometimes, it's always fun to go. And Florida State, Alabama would be a perfect one if you love college football to get out there while your team's playing somebody that they should be to watch that game. And I'll go ahead and pick Florida State in that game to win it. And I just can't wait to see the speed on that field, man, the athletes for Florida mm-hmm. State and Alabama. Two, two blue bloods of college football right now. you you got to be uh, – Got to be excited, but did anybody in, in recruiting and signing day did did anybody really disappoint that you're looking at that just blew you away that said, you know, wow, we talked about Ole Miss already and and teams like that, but who fell off the the map really and just kind of shocked you how far they fell or? Um, you know, if I look at it. And uh, you know, teams that somewhat surprised me. Uh, I mean, Maryland surprised me. Finished in 18. I didn't expect them to make that kind of a jump. Um, Washington only coming in at 22. That's your see, you know, and you only took 18 kids and nine are blue chips. But you know that you know USC essentially came in and said, "Well, we want this guy. We're going to take him." And that's just it, it. You know, USC just runs recruiting out in the West Coast. It's a shame that nobody can really mm-hmm. compete with them. Um, I, I mean, another team that kind of disappointed me is, is Louisville. I thought they'd have better recruiting momentum. Uh, you have the Heisman Trophy winner coming back. You think you'd have more kids coming with you? They only got three blue chippers. Um, you know, that that's somebody that just I scratched my head a little bit and said, "Really, that's it." Uh, outside of that, I mean, you I know, know what, about, what about Wisconsin? What about Wisconsin at thirty nine? I mean, does that surprise you a little bit? But just two blue no. chippers and finishing thirty nine. 
No, because look where Wisconsin's at. It's not, it's not a big area for blue chip prospects. I expect you know Wisconsin and Michigan State are kind of in the same uh, breath as far as um, they don't necessarily get big time recruits all the time. Their staffs are better at developing, and they have the systems where they they can go get those system kids. Wisconsin, obviously, with their offense, you know, a little more where they'll get five big offensive linemen and a running back that, you know, can, you know, run between the tackles. <laughs> you know, I mean, they they have a pretty easy offense to run. It's not like, you know, they're going to go get five-star receivers left and right. Um, you know, Arkansas dropped, uh, finishing at 28. I mean, it doesn't surprise me, but I think it's a sign that maybe building this time at Arkansas is coming to an end. Mississippi State finishing at 24. I mean, Dan Mullen doesn't quit. He does not quit. That man, I mean, Dan Mullen, you got to give him credit for what he's done at Mississippi State. I, ne- I don't think Thank he's ever going to leave that program. I really don't. But think about it. 19 three-stars, four four-stars, and I guarantee you the one thing Dan Mullen can do that I think that Gus doesn't do a great job at and some other coaches, he develops. He gets the player he wants and he develops them into a four- and five-star. And and I'm telling you, I've been how long have I been saying that Dan Mullen is one of the most underrated coaches in college football right now? Somebody oh. should have gotten him out of Mississippi State. I wouldn't be if, – if Gus left next year and they announced Dan Mullen to come to Auburn, I would be a happy camper because I know I'm going to have a good quarterback I mean, look, I want you to look what he did after Dak Prescott left. Look at the quarterback he brought in out of nowhere and developed him. Look how good he was at the end of the year last year. That's a that's a good kid. I mean, the future looks bright for Mississippi State. They're always tough to beat. They're always tough to beat for Alabama and Auburn and people like that because they just they they play so well. But what was the team I was looking at that kind of disappointed me? Not disappointed me personally, but I thought it would be higher. But then I realized that it just happened. Penn State just got real good. 2018 is the year Penn State should load up in recruiting. They finished 15th. But looking at next year, looking ahead, um, the top players, the fourth player is committed to Penn State already. And if you look at the recruiter rankings, they have three coaches in the top ten with Brent Pry, number one, Ricky Ronnie, number, what was that, number four, and Josh Gaddis, number ten. So, mm-hmm. and I was going to ask you, too, what about Auburn getting that the best recruiter out of North Carolina from them? Uh, that was a big hire for Auburn, I believe. Not only is he a good recruiter, his name's Porter, right? Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He's not only a good recruiter, but he's a he's just a real good coach, developer of running backs. You've seen what he's done at LSU in North Carolina. Uh, what do you think about this hire for Auburn? I think it was a home run, home run hire. I, I think it was an excellent hire. I mean, you know, one, all right, so one of the nice things about being in the SEC, especially the SEC West, is that. What what looks like a lateral move is not a lateral move uh, in a lot of these guys' eyes. It's a step up to go to uh, go to the SEC West. It's a step up to go to uh, you know, schools like Florida State, Ohio State, Auburn, LSU, Alabama. Because uh, we saw LSU uh, get a new running backs coach, and it happened to be USC's running back coach. Is that fair? No. No, it's not fair. Come on. 
Yeah, Auburn, you know, our Bryles was my first choice, and it was Auburn's first choice, but at the end of the day, they could not pull the plug with all the baggage. It's it's almost like, you know, okay, it's a, it would be a desperation. It would be a great hire because of what he can do, but it would be killer to, in recruiting. If you make one bad move like that, it could really just make your school look like all it cares about is winning and and nothing else. And now with some other stuff that came out last couple of weeks, Auburn did what they had to do. And I think, you know, I'm not saying this as an Auburn homer fan, but I think it was, a, it was probably one of the best hires that nobody knew. You know what I mean? Like nobody was expecting it early. They were, everybody always wants a big name, Chip Kelly or something like that. It's, it's just you finally have to get somebody Gus had to that could run the offense and he could let go of it. And I really do believe he he's going to have to let go of it because Chip Lindsay is not a yes man. Brett Lashley just couldn't be trusted to to run the offense, and it was wearing Gus out. And and uh, Brett Lashley, you don't go from making a million something dollars a year to four hundred thousand. You don't take a you don't do it on your own, Jonathan. You don't go from Auburn to UConn and take a $600-and-something-thousand-dollar pay cut just for the hell of it. You know, it was, he was forced out. I've been telling people that. He had a choice. Gus helped him find another job. They didn't want to fire him because they're so close. But that was really, hey, you need to find you a job, guy. I mean, because we're going to have to get rid of you. And Gus helped him, and I hope he does great. I love Rhett Lashley as a, as a person, but as a coach, as a quarterback developer, no. I, I just don't. Well, Jonathan, you've missed the early part of this show where I talked about that we're at our five-year anniversary now for William Sports Talk. Quinn's been on on hold forever, but he won't come in and say anything. I was going to congratulate him. Quinn's been a part of this show for five years, I believe. You've been a part of this show for five years. And uh, Trade was a part of it for a little while, Big E. But, uh, Jonathan, I'm I'm excited about William Sports, where it's going to go, especially – once we start promoting it again, it's been the well, last year's been tough. The numbers have been good, but we just really haven't promoted the show like we used to. But we're gonna get back to doing that. Promote, promote, get some big interviews on there, and uh, see where we can go. Maybe you can work on Jimbo. But you want to talk some college basketball real quick? Oh, you know I always love talk college basketball. Just uh, you know, you brought up the five-year anniversary. And, and let, let me say this. My first uh, time I called into the show, we were talking about the NFL draft, and we were talking about Jarvis Jones. And I said, Jarvis Jones, if healthy, I think had all the potential to be an outside linebacker uh, in the same type of way that guys like Lawrence Taylor and Derek Thomas were. Boy, was I wrong. <laughs> Boy, was I wrong. I will eat that all day. Uh, for those of you that, that that never heard that episode, the first time I called in and we were talking about the draft, and we, I was talking about Jarvis Jones, and I said if, if, if he can stay healthy, I think this kid could be one of the best uh, edge rushing linebackers that the NFL has seen in a while. And, um, yeah, he's not even going to get re-signed by the team that drafts him. Well, it's okay, Jonathan. My first year here, Auburn went three and nine, and I was sitting there talking about them like they were gonna, they were gonna come in there and win the SEC or something. You know, I think <laughs> it might have been Kyle, 
but Quinn finally wants to talk. Quinn, have you been on? Have you been doing the show for five years with us, or did you start a little? Yeah, later? I yeah, I have. Yeah, I thought so. You've always been a fixture, and Jason and Trey and all them. But Quinn has been with us five years. Jonathan, I think you have too, really. Mm-hmm. Five years. I think you've been. I, I remember me and Big E started this thing, and. We started around March Madness, a time like right now. Started to talk basketball, and it was it was exciting. It was an exciting time, and it wasn't even football season yet. But we talked college football. We 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 built this show off college football, really, and and today we still do. So Quinn, how you doing, bud? We missed you. Have you missed the show three weeks? Have you had any withdrawals or anything? <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, I've been pretty good, good though. I mean, you can't go to Fox, you can't go to ESPN, you can't go anywhere and get college football talk in February. You just can't do it. But guess what? Here you can. And a lot of the fans that we have, the people that listen to this show, they're college football fans and they want to listen in. So, hey, we talk college football every episode for the most part. But, Quinn, do you uh, want to add anything to what we've been talking about regarding recruiting Auburn's upcoming year before we get into basketball? Well, I wanted to say I like I liked both Auburn and Notre Dame's recruiting class. Notre Dame actually surprised me coming in at 11th. And I, I was just looking over the past couple of years on 247 what their recruiting class was. And this has been their best recruiting class ranking-wise, since 2014, being the 11th. And so considering the year they had and they still recruited as well, I think uh, is a good sign. And the coaching staff has done a good job about developing a lot of players. So I'm pretty pleased with how Notre Dame did. And then with how Auburn did, I was really pleased also. Auburn really and filled all their needs up. And Gus made a – Gus is getting a hard time in the media. And this is nothing he said arrogant. He said, you know, for the, this is this is probably the deepest that I've, I've had a team since I've been at Auburn, which is a true statement. He said this is a team that could possibly play for championships. Well, he's been a part of the 2010 championship and in 2013's national championship game. So – is it really a stretch for him to come out and say that this team could possibly play for a championship? I mean, that's a very good class that he signed this year. I don't think people realize you get the best kicker in the country. You, the offensive line, you got some. You didn't need a big defensive line because of all that you have coming back and redshirted. But he, he they got one of the big surprises, Markavius Bryant coming in to, to kind of help in the linebacker core, Quinn, is probably the best I've seen in Auburn ever with this linebacker class. And uh, they're loaded with Moultrie. I think he's going to be one of the best players in college football in the next three years. Yeah, and well, the thing is about Gus, and the reason why Gus is getting a lot of flack is a lot of the Auburn fan base is split on Gus and the people that don't like him bash him every chance they get. And if there's media members out there that don't like him, they're bashing him every chance he gets. So Gus has to prove this year 
and shut them up yeah. because oh I, I go to these I look on my Facebook and then I'll go on a post and it'll be something and then most of the comments are people bashing Gus and saying oh we're not going <laughs> to do anything this year it'll be another eight and it's like Jesus just settle down and then they're bashing Stidham and they're like oh he hasn't proven anything yet why are you got like just chill out for a second. Well, he has proven something, and the difference is Jeremy Johnson is the problem. With uh, that's what has Gus people not trusting Gus Malzahn because you know everybody thought Jeremy Johnson that after that one half against Arkansas he played was just going to be the next Cam Newton, and he wasn't. And but this Stidham guy, Jonathan, he's proven himself a lot more than Jeremy Johnson ever has. The guy's got all the tools, and the difference between him and Sean White, too, is the guy's 6'3", 210, maybe he'll be 220 by the season, and he's a true true dual-threat quarterback, and he's like the number one quarterback nationally at the position where Sean White wasn't. I mean, there's still some Auburn fans, like I said, Jonathan, who think Sean White's going to be the quarterback. But come on, guys. Damn. Yeah, I mean, I really liked Stidham when he was at Baylor. Uh, I thought that he, uh, I thought he was a uh, really good quarterback. You know, he came in when was it Bryce Petty? No, it wasn't Bryce Petty. Uh, whoever the last quarterback was, his name is slipping my mind. Uh, he came I in. Know you. I know you. I know you. I know you. Talking about. I mean, it was before Russell he got hurt. Or yeah, Seth Russell. Thank you. Yeah, Seth, Seth, Seth Russell. Russell got, yeah, Seth Russell got hurt. Stidham came in, and that offense didn't skip a beat. It wasn't until Stidham got knocked out that that offense kind of regressed, and they ran that shotgun wing T stuff that was actually really fun mm-hmm. to watch. Yeah, um, go back and Google Stidham highlights and, and look at the games. You can actually watch a game film of that year. He's playing Oklahoma, Kansas State on the road back when they were good, Texas. I mean, the guy can actually ball. I mean, yeah. I mean, he got his ankle hurt. That's something that you break an ankle or whatever. That's not your injury prone. That's just one of those freak things that happen sometimes. But Sean White breaks his arm the first series against Oklahoma. That had been that one. The guy can't stay healthy, Jonathan. Sean White is a good kid. He's tough. But the thing is, he's too small to play quarterback in the SEC, especially if he's called upon to run the football at times. And like he did against Oklahoma, he ran the football, broke his arm. Mm -hmm. He's just not – he's not men. I don't think Stidham's going to be Nick Marshall. I don't think he's going to be asked to be. But, I mean, he's going to be able to run when he has to a little more speed than Sean White has. And that's a true dual threat. Sean White's not a dual threat quarterback. That's the problem. Jeremy Johnson's not a dual threat quarterback. Cam Newton's a dual threat quarterback. Nick Marshall's a dual threat. Stidham is a dual threat, Quinn. And I think that's what Auburn fans can't understand in their mind. Jeremy Johnson wasn't a dual threat quarterback, neither was White. Well Stidham well Stidham will be the best uh since Cam he'll be the best runner and thrower. Mar Marshall had accuracy mm. issues. Oh yeah. Marshall, you 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 talk about combined, but Marshall's the best runner. Yeah, I've combined. Seen in combined. Yeah. Combined, yeah. yeah. Uh, Marshall well, had accuracy issues, so yeah. 
So did JF3. You know, he's not a dual threat. You're not a dual threat quarterback if you can't throw. Yeah. I mean, you're not. But but I was going to say one more thing about Auburn before we go off them. Calvin Ashley, I was talking to some people not related to Auburn, but the scout said that this guy, if there was no rule in football to go to college, he could go directly to the NFL right now and play. Like right now. Out of high school, six six three ten, and that's saying a lot. We need somebody like that. We need if you got if you got a prize recruit at quarterback, you better have somebody to protect him. But but Jonathan and Quinn Auburn's defense this year is going to be better than it has been in thirty years or whatever. I'm telling you, it's it's looking it's real the, good. It's loaded, loaded with depth and and. Um, we can beat Clemson and LSU on the road. There's going to be a party going on. Well, I'm going to be at the Clemson game too. Ah, I am too. So I'll see you. I'll see you there. Uh, I will college, be there. College basketball. Quinn and I are friends right now. I know yeah, Notre Dame how, how about bank that? Florida State. <laughs> During that during that game, I was going over to your Twitter, seeing if you were tweeting before or during or retweeting <laughs> anything, and it was quiet. I uh, actually, I, I uh, one of my old buddies called me up and said, "Hey, there's a seafood festival going on in Everglade City, which is well, Quinn, not that far from your grandparents." Can't believe! How could you not at least reach out to me while you were down here? I mean, come on, man. That's that that hurts my feelings. But anyway, anyway, <laughs> uh, I was at a, a seafood festival in Everglades City, and uh, I'm enjoying myself some fried gator tail. And I'm like, mm, you know what? It should be about halftime. Let me check the score of the Florida State game. And I, lo- I looked at the halftime score and said, I'm glad I'm in Everglades City. <laughs> <laughs> You know, Florida State's got a real good basketball team, and they're going to be there at the end uh, when the tournament comes. But, well, I'm going to start with Auburn since since uh, I was pissed off earlier about it last night, Quinn. I told my wife at halftime, Auburn was up by 20, and I told her this is a must-win game for Auburn if they got any hope whatsoever to make the tournament. you got to beat Ole Miss. They're, they're starting to play a lot better in jail. But they get up by 20. They're up by 23 in the second half, and I told her, I was like, Auburn, I feel like they may lose this game. And she was like, this game's over. And I'm like, no, it's not. I was like, because Auburn has a tendency in the second half to let up on opponents. Well, they did it on the road last night. They lost. Is Bruce Pearl a good coach, Quinn, in your mind? I mean, he's a great recruiter, playing four freshmen right now. But there's no excuse to lose a game that you're up 23 in the second half. I'm sorry. You you know what? you you know what I think has a lot to do with it? That might not be necessarily Bruce Pearl, but you said it, four freshmen. And uh, the deal with freshmen is they're not experienced. And most, and most of them, even if you're up big and – they might get in a mindset that oh we can we can ease up and we can cruise, and once you start cruising, it's hard to flip the switch again. And if well, you start going well, cold shooting wise with freshmen, it yeah. can mess with their heads because in high school, well, th- they really weren't in those situations. 
Well, well, well. The reason I'm talking about Pearl Quinn is because in the first half, Auburn comes out. They're 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 putting a lot of pressure. They're playing good defense. They're taking high high percentage three pointers. I mean, if there is such thing, they're they're actually making the extra pass, getting a better look. In the second half, you know, and the shot clock be damned in the first half. They're running and gunning. The second half, they're they're sitting up there. They're waiting till eight seconds on the shot clock to start trying to get into their offense, and they throw up a brick. They show uh, some bad shot. They're not rebounding, yeah. and the other team gets hot, and there's nothing they can do about it, Jonathan. It's like, to me, that's yeah. coaching because you're telling your team, you're telling your team, okay, now we're going to slow it down. And, and I know they're freshmen and everything, but still, why not let them play the way they played the first half and the second half? Why not beat them by 40 instead of trying to milk the damn clock? That's true. Yeah. No, I, I agree 100%. I, I mean, I really do. I, I, I went ahead and looked at the box score, and I was like, hmm. Because so actually sent me that message. I'm like, oh, what, what did they do last night? Because, uh, you know, believe it or not, reception in the middle of the Everglades isn't exactly the best. Uh, so I, I pull up the box score, and I'm looking at it. I'm like, Wait, Ole Miss had had two guys off the bench with 20 points? Like, hold on. Wait, wait a minute. What 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 that happened is Ole Miss scored 63 points in the second half? Yeah. I mean, that that's a full-on quit. Like, did, did, and then you gonna the foul. You gonna you gonna you gonna foul the ninety one percent free throw shooter twenty times in the second half to let him shoot. I mean, it's like I, an idiot. It drove me nuts. I, I think the whole four freshman thing has a lot to do with it, considering it's Auburn, and we're talking about four freshmen, and not like Kentucky or North Carolina or Duke, where those freshmen are used to being in higher profile games because it's like AAU ball and whatnot. Whereas a lot of these kids. More in the high showcase games, they're not used to all the pressure and the attention. Look, you know, Auburn's not known for basketball. Let's let's not get anything twisted here. I mean, if you were expecting big things from Auburn basketball, I, I guess pass off to you for for believing in your team. But you know, that, 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 I expected that, a bubble. I expected them to be on the bubble. That's what I expected this year. You know, and. I, after that, obviously, after that game last night, obviously you're not gonna have that. And you know, I know that 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 eats at you. Uh, but you know, you just gotta give Pearl some time. So he he did good things before. And I, well, I've seen well, Jonathan, Jonathan, they're hmm. sixteen and nine right now, five and mm-hmm. seven in conference. But there is a chance. I mean, there's a chance if they beat Florida. In Auburn Tuesday night. So, I mean, if they can get to twenty twenty one wins and get to five hundred, a little over five hundred in the conference, do you think they have a chance then? Or well, what do you think the magic number is for Auburn to get into the tournament? Because they lost on the road last night to a fifteen and ten team, six and six in the conference. But if they can go on a run to end this year, what do you think? What kind of run do they have to go on to get in the tournament? I, I think they got six get... games left. They've got six games left. Florida, A&M, LSU, Arkansas, Georgia, Missouri, and then the tournament. Boy, you got to win, I'd say, at least four of the remaining six. And then I think you got to get to the semis uh, in, in, in the tournament. Sounds I think you at least have to get to the semis. 
You know, continue to think. The perception of the SEC isn't high. You have to remember that. The perception of your conference is it's Kentucky and. So, yeah, that's something that you, you do have to you do have to deal with. Um, it's going to be well, a lot harder to get a team in. But playing the out-of-conference schedule, but again, even though you play a tough out-of-conference, you got to win those games. And they, they lost at Purdue. They they beat UAB. They beat Oklahoma. They beat UConn. Those names are big, but they're not real good this year. But but winning on the road is something that Auburn's done, and you know they've won five or six games on the road this year. So if they can beat Florida, and they can beat Arkansas and Missouri, those are three games that gets them the 19 wins. So you're telling me they have to beat A and M, LSU, or Georgia, one of those games on the road out of three and sweep the home and then make the semis of the tournament. I think I'm with you on that. I, I mean, if you go five and one and your loss is to Florida, you know, and you don't get just skull drugs, um, I, I don't know. No, I don't think no, you'll no. They, they have to beat Florida. They have to beat Florida Tuesday night, I'm saying. They have to. Ole Miss was a must win if Florida was a loss. But now if you beat Florida – or if you could go, if you could go six and zero, if they could run, and they're good enough, and that schedule is not that that difficult. If they go six and zero to end the season, or five and one, you're saying they're probably going to be in the tournament. Yeah, I mean, if you include, let's say, the first what two conference tournament games, I mean, you know, they they they, they have to make a conference tournament run. They do. Uh, I'm not saying they got to win it, but they got to do something because you you can't. The yeah, perception you, you of your conference yeah, you, is three you, schools. You have three schools. For Auburn to be the fourth school, you have to be better uh, than Syracuse. You have to be better than Georgia Tech. Uh, you know, you have to be better than Northwestern. And that, that's what you're mm-hmm. battling right now is, is the other at-large teams like that. And, and right now, if, if you ask, People are going to take Syracuse. They're going to take Georgia Tech. Northwestern might be a debate, yep. but they and Northwestern might actually get thrown in just because it'd be their first tournament, uh, and they're playing well enough to where I think they have earned that. I mean, so for for Auburn, it, it, it's really really tough because Connecticut, you know, turned out to be crap. Oklahoma turned out to be crap. <laughs> um, you know, so so you know, you, you lost to Purdue. That would have been a big win. You beat Florida, you have a big win on your schedule, no doubt about that. But the SEC right now, I feel like it's only going to get three teams in, and that's Kentucky, South Carolina, Florida. And I'm not sure the SEC is going to have a top four seed. Kentucky's got to win out to get, a, to get, to get I so, think, a four seed at this point. So let, let's talk about Kentucky. That's a, a hot topic right now. They, you know, they, they start, they're 20 and 5. Let's not forget. The team is 20 and 5. And they played teams like their losses, UCLA. They've lost to Louisville on the road. They lost to Tennessee on the road, which is not a terrible loss. Tennessee's a good basketball team. They lost to Kansas at home. And they lost to Florida on the road by 22. But, you know, beating Bama the other night, they looked terrible yesterday. Beating LSU, I mean, there's something wrong with this team, Quinn. There's... They're not playing the defense that, that I'm used to seeing Kentucky play. They just don't have that swagger they had early in the season. What do you think's happened to them, and do they have a chance 
to to turn it around because the schedule is pretty tough. I mean, they play Tennessee uh, Tuesday. They go to Georgia, to Missouri. They play Florida again, Vanderbilt, and Texas A&M. What do they have to do to get up there as at least a two seed right now? Um, Well, to me, I think a big thing, and I look at this point in the season, experienced. Does your team have juniors and seniors? If you're a sophomore and freshman team, I think that has still a lot to do with Kentucky, just in general, and why. The, but a lot of them the do. Talent a lot of the big, a lot of blue chippers are freshmen and sophomore, though. Right now, I mean, a lot of the teams because they they put them in the NBA, though. But what I get is is those teams come. Come tournament time, come down the stretch, it can, it can sometimes hurt them. When I look at a team like Notre Dame that has juniors and seniors, they're usually peaking down the stretch. They're doing well down the stretch. And I think experience has a lot to do with it. And when you have an experience, you're going to go through the ups and downs. And, and, they're, just, and they're just in a down stretch. I, the, mm-hmm. I'll, and Calipari just has you, to Quinn. get him. Quinn, I think Kansas hurt Kentucky real bad, don't you? Losing that game in Rupp, uh, I think it just hurt something about this team. I don't think they play, and tell me you two if I'm wrong, Kentucky's not playing like they think they're the best team in basketball anymore, where even before that Tennessee game, after they beat South Carolina a few weeks ago, they they thought they were the best team in basketball, even though they probably weren't. But yeah. I just think Kansas came in and just kind of showed them that they're not ready to be at that level, and I think it hurt their confidence, Jonathan. I mean, am I missing and, something with that game? I just I have that game circled. That's it. And okay, can I say something before Jonathan goes in? Yeah, go ahead. Bubba. I, yeah, I think that goes back to my point of experience experienced teams they've taken hard losses they know how to bounce back they could experienced teams they might lose a couple in a row but their confidence doesn't waver i think that's where experience is huge that's where i think juniors and seniors really pays off well all right so uh, as far as Kentucky goes, i don't know if i mean look we can make the experience uh argument all day Kentucky's got one championship under Calipari. Am I right? Am I right? Is it one? Yep. Yeah. One. Um, and and that, that tells you where experience obviously has has factored into it, where you look at a team like Michigan State that's always in the final four of juniors and seniors. Like, I, I get that. Um, that's cool. Um, that, that's an argument I've made before. Now, when they lost to UCLA early in the year, okay, you know, UCLA, we find out they're actually a good team. And if you try to run with UCLA, they're going to run you out the gym. Uh, that game against North Carolina might have been the best game. And that loss UCLA was at home. Yeah. Let's remember that. All right, so when they beat North Carolina in Vegas, great game. Another great team. They went to Louisville and lost spot three. Again, it's a very good team. All right, so you have those three games in there where they're, like, you're, they're one and two. You're like, all right, you're at home against Kansas, and you lost. And you're like, okay, well, they played four, let's say, sweet 16 teams, right? And they lost three of the games. But all three of them, you know, five, three, and six points. So they're a good team. What bothers me, what truly bothers me with this team right now is I look at what they've done in conference. They smashed Ole Miss. 
They smashed A&M. They smashed Arkansas. They went to Vanderbilt and only won by six. And that Vanderbilt game, they 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 were in control, but they they weren't dominating the game. It was one of those things where Vanderbilt could have taken that in the last minute. And that was the first. Mm, wait a minute, what's going on here? All right, but then you you destroy Auburn, and you go to Mississippi State, and again you find some of the dog fight. You're like, wait, hmm, are they just not very good on the road? Maybe that maybe that's what it is. All right, you beat up on South Carolina. You go to Tennessee and you lose. I watched that Tennessee game. That was that was an excellent game. <laughs> and Tennessee just wanted it more. What I saw in that game, though, was, look, Malik Monk's your best player. At least he's your best shooter. I mean, you, 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 you've got to stop trying to feed uh, their, that big man, Bam. you got to stop trying to feed him the ball so much. Because offensively, he's not that polished. And they were also missing De'Aaron Fox, I believe, their their point guard. And I think that has hurt them. I don't know if he's 100%. Um, you know, then they, they lose to Kansas. Then that game against Georgia they should have lost. Or Malik Monk won that game. He did. Uh, you know, and then you have – you go to Florida and you got dusted. I mean, they got yeah. dusted by Florida. And when that happened, I went, there is something legitimately wrong with this program. And I think at the end of what it is, is they're just not as talented as everybody thinks they are. They're a very good team, easy, easily a sweet 16 team, but I don't know if this is a championship team. And in my eyes, I don't think they are. And it's not an anti-Kentucky bias. You know, I, I just think that, you know, there are certain – Things about this team when I watch them, and I'm like that something just ain't clicking right. You know, they they had their struggle with LSU and they had their struggle with Alabama. You know, if they're not shooting lights out, they're gonna have problems. I think defensively they have issues. And you've seen they've given up. I mean, there are games where they've given up a lot of points this year. You know, 97 to UCLA, 100 to North Carolina. You know, 81 to Vanderbilt, 81 to Mississippi State, 82 to Tennessee. 81 to Georgia, 88 to Florida, 85 to LSU. Whoa, whoa, whoa. When you're that talented, you shouldn't be giving up that many points, especially not when you get in the conference play and you're head and shoulders a favorite. You should be well, running the show. Jonathan, the game yesterday, they only beat Alabama by nine, and it's because Alabama went nine of 26 from the throw line, shooting 34%. Yeah. They lost that game. And that's why it's like they have to – Make a statement now. They have to figure it out right this minute, and they have to win out. They can't lose another game. I mean, they're ranked, they'll probably be ranked in the top 15 around that. But these games coming up, there's no excuse for Kentucky to lose any more games and not run through the SEC. And they got Tennessee at home. They played Georgia on the road, Missouri on the road. They're terrible. They get to play Florida. I think the Florida game, circle that game on February 25th, it's a CBS game in rough. If they lose to Florida this late in the season, that late in the season, I meant, then there's some issues going on. But if they can run the table, you know, get out of there with, what, 26 wins or whatever, win the SEC tournament, they're a legitimate two, three seed, probably a two seed. But they have to figure out an, uh, an identity. I don't know if they have one yet. They don't have – they're not playing defense like you said. They're, I just don't think that Monk's the best player, but who's the number, the two guy you can go to? Who's the number three guy that's stepping up? I just don't see people at Kentucky stepping up, rising to the occasion. They're looking at the next guy wondering, okay, are you going to do it? 
or is Munt going to do it? Or some, I mean, They just don't seem to be playing well. And I question Calipari X's and O's as well, guys, just like Bruce Pearl. Great recruiters can get the talent in, but can they win on the court X's and O's? I don't, I just don't think so. There's some real good yeah. basketball teams. There's some real good basketball teams out there right now. Can Kentucky win the championship? Yes, they can. But mm-hmm. what do they have to do to do it? I mean, that's the key. Now's not the time to start playing bad. Now's the time, the middle of February. Tell me if I'm missing the date, Jonathan. The middle of February to your conference tournament is where you have to turn the gas on. I think you're right. I mean, once you hit yeah. conference tournament, you got – I mean, conference play, you got to figure it out. Because, uh, you know, to me, non-conference play is just at this point almost a bunch of exhibition games. Uh, but you gotta, you got to be ready. And, you know, January, let's say you're still kind of feeling everything out because that's what, you know, the games really pick up as far as scheduling. But February and especially Valentine's, you know, I, you know Valentine's Day – to the end of the conference tournament, that that last month, that last stretch, if you're not playing well, you're in why trouble. am I supposed to think? Yeah, you're in trouble. Why am I supposed to think you're going to do well? Yeah. Why am I supposed to think that? So, and it's funny you bring up Calipari and coaching because that seems to be a common sentiment in the Kentucky fan base right now is that they don't trust him as the next of the nose guy. And that's something that, mm, boy, oh, that, that's an issue. Well, well, you could take him out of the equation – you bring in another elite coach, maybe not as the name, but John, but Quinn. You could bring in somebody. What's the Wisconsin coach's name or whatever? Um, I'm not what sure. Was his name? I'm trying to think. But but oh, anyway, no, it's, Kentucky. It's a new guy. Well, I'm talking about the one before. I mean, he, oh, he's going in. He's a good X's oh, and O's. Yeah, Bo Ryan. I mean, he's a great X's and O's coach. Kentucky recruits itself. You may not get all of those. Yeah top ten players, but you're going to get some of them, enough to where Kentucky's problem is they don't have enough junior and seniors on their team, really, to make an impact. The juniors and seniors that are in Kentucky, they suck. They're just not that good of players. They're walk-ons or they're, they're people that just got a scholarship. They were walk-ons. They need some of these guys to stay a couple years instead of just one and done, Monk's gone. You know, he'll be probably one of the first two taken. But they just don't have – Quinn may be riding this whole thing. They don't have the the depth of maturity at certain levels. Now, some teams have, like Duke that year, they wanted – they had some freshmen, but they also had some upperclassmen that were pretty good players, you know, that, that were seniors and were tough and they'd been through hell. Um, yeah. I just don't think Kentucky has that. So, you, yeah, you all make great points, huh? That's what I like about Notre Dame and what Bray does is Bray brings in talented guys, but they're but they're more under the radar type of guys that aren't the most talented, but they're talented. And the guys stay, most of them stay four years. Some only stay three, but they all stay three or four years, and they develop chemistry. And then uh, Bray develops them. And and then they and then they always have a pretty good team, and I think that's huge. But I'm not is I'm not buying Gonzaga though, guys. Real quick, we're about out of time. I'm not buying them right now at 24 and 0. I'm sorry, they don't play nobody. I'm not buying Villanova. Can, Kansas can. Are you with me, Jonathan? 
No, I mean, Villanova has their issues because they don't really have any uh, anything uh, inside, and when they go up against a, yep. they go up against Florida State, they'll have problems. Um, I think Gonzaga, Kansas is the best team. You need to buy in on Gonzaga, Brian. You need to. It's a good team, but it really is. Okay, well, I'll go check them out again, but I think Kansas is the best team in basketball. I think if Oregon could play at home, they'd be the best team in basketball if they could play every game. Baylor, yeah. uh, very good team. Wisconsin, North Carolina, Arizona. You, I mean, there's some very, very good teams. And this, this tournament may be one of the best tournaments we've ever seen because there's some real good teams in there. Um, I, I the question, did St. Mary's win last night? No, Gonzaga beat them. Okay. It's a good game. All right, but they're a very good team. They're a good team. I mean, and let's not forget about Creighton, Butler, some of those names we've, we've grown to love in the tournament. Florida State playing Creighton very good. It's just going to be interesting. Creighton? Creighton's done. They lost their top point guard uh, a couple weeks ago. They're done. Yeah. I mean, you're right, though. This is a great field. Um, the ACC's got five legitimate title contenders, I think, and – Duke, North Carolina, uh, Florida State, uh, Louisville, Virginia. You know, you have Kentucky are you, and Are you Florida. trying to tell me are you trying to tell me the ACC is better than the SEC in basketball? Are you trying to tell me that? <laughs> um, <laughs> I mean, if I, if, if I had to tell you that, then uh, we, we'd be talking about some other things. Uh, if you would tell me that the SEC is better than, than the ACC in basketball, I have some beautiful oceanfront property that I think you would die for in Iowa. I think you would love it. Um, but, you know, yeah, it's, I, 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 I just it. think that I, I think the Big 12 is a really good conference. Um I know Kansas and Baylor, you know, Baylor team that you were like, oh, are they really that good? And they just kind of keep plugging along. The Pac-12 got three good teams in Oregon, UCLA, Arizona. Uh, I think this is going to be a very, very good tournament. I think we're going to have some fun. It'll be a little more top-heavy, I think, this year than in years past where it was more a little more wide open as far as once you got passed around to 64. Um, I think that you can almost pick the Sweet 16 today. Um and then it's mm-hmm. it's a race to the finish. Jonathan. Yeah. Mm. I think you I think you might be sleeping on Notre Dame a little bit. I think they could I oh. think they can make some noise in the tournament. I don't think they're a title contender. Okay. We'll I think they see, can make the I'm sweet sixteen. Sure. We'll I mean how many contender. teams did that ACC have in the sweet sixteen last year? Ten? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Something like that. I, I, I think the ACC can have a high number of C-16 teams. I think there's multiple good teams in this conference. And, you know, it'd be amazing if North Carolina State and Georgia Tech uh, and Virginia Tech could be, like, consistent for once. Because, um, they, they, I mean, you know, North Carolina State might have one of the best players in college basketball. I mean, you remember one overall pick of Dennis Smith Jr., their point guard. I think the ACC is stacked. Uh, you know, Syracuse is. is a good team because Love of their zone defense. It's loaded. I mean, you've got Virginia, man, Duke, North Carolina, Florida State, Louisville. I mean, it's just it's unbelievable. And that's that may be why Notre Dame has a shot is because they're playing these teams every night. When you get in the tournament and you're not playing an ACC team, it's like playing somebody weaker, you know. So, I mean, they, they, they played Villanova, Notre Dame did, lost by – 
they lost by eight, or no, they lost by eight points. Not terrible. They played a very good Purdue team. Lost that one by five. They and lost they by had to Florida State on the road games. by three. Yeah, they lost on the road by three to Florida State. They got spanked by Virginia. Virginia yeah. is very good. They lost to Georgia yeah. Tech on the road by two. They lost to Duke. So, I mean, Notre Dame's going to have to. To me, they're going to have to close out the season strong. They're going to have to to show me in that tournament, of course, but they're going to have to go on the road at the end of the year and beat Louisville or somebody to make a statement, I think. I want to see them give me a – they haven't made a statement yet. Beating Florida State at home yesterday wasn't really a statement. I mean, it was just – it is what it is. But Louisville, if they can go March 4th and beat Louisville on the road, then we'll start talking about Notre Dame. But, hey, Notre Dame's better than Auburn. I'll have to say that, at least right now. <laughs> Florida State is twenty one and five. They're sixteen and zero at home. They're five and five away from Tucker. I mean, that's, uh, that's okay. You know why? Because you're playing in a neutral field, a neutral site, in tournaments, and and Florida yeah. State to be undefeated at home in their conference. That's amazing with that kind of conference. That's that's a great record. So it's the best Florida State basketball team in a long time. Y'all, yeah, and we're probably going to be in Orlando for the first two rounds. Um, you know, I'm interested to see how the bracket draws out because there's, again, so many good ACC teams. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't want to see Notre Dame. I don't want to see Duke. I don't – no, keep them in the other three brackets. Let me just get everybody else. Let me get everybody else. I'll take Florida. I'll take Gonzaga. I'll take – give me anybody. Don't give me any of the ACC teams to like the championship game. Well, hey guys, hey guys. Before we go, we got our condolences for a former Georgia linebacker Quentin Moses. Him and his wife and his ten-year-old daughter were killed in a house fire. Um, that's just that's just very sad. The guy is only thirty-three years old, and I, I wonder how you get killed in a house fire. Like nobody woke up or or something. I, I just. I don't know, maybe there's an investigation going on. But then there's a Syracuse guy, what was his name, Fab Mello? Was that, was that yeah. his name? Yeah. He passed away. I mean, there's just people passing away. Gene Chizik stepping down from coaching. I saw that. Um, there's, a lot of, yeah, there's a lot of news out there, guys. And you one question, I want to ask you one question. What was that? Brett Musburger's retired. Well, good. He needs to. <laughs> you are looking live. As I'm rooting for Auburn to beat Florida State, oh, no, touchdown Florida State, they're going to win. Love you, Brent. <laughs> hey, who's the, who's the best player in the NBA, Quinn? LeBron James. Jonathan, who's the best player in the NBA? Hmm. And you're Kawhi wrong. Leonard. Oh, Kawhi Leonard. No. no, you missed it. Westbrook. He's the best player in the NBA. Yeah. Uh, 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 telling you. Yeah, telling you. He's the best. He mm. jumps out of a gym, man. He. He put up 47 last night on Golden State. This guy's a triple-double machine, and 
Oh man, it's just I, I just don't think people realize. I mean, and LeBron's probably the best player, you know, like the, with his size and everything. But so I was just watching Westbrook play this year, and he's a lot better than Durant. I mean, they're they're not going to make it. You know, they're not going to win the NBA or anything because they just don't have enough players. But man, what what is OKC going to do, Jonathan? to not waste this guy. I mean, you've got to get him somebody. The guy's too talented to sit here and just piss away his career in a loaded division. You're not going to beat Golden State. You're not going to beat people like that because you don't have a number two guy or a number three guy. So are they going to give him some love in OKC, or or is he going to go away and go to another team? Because if they're not careful, they're just going to waste the prime of this guy's career. And they're a seven seed right now in the West, and – it's just it's just sad to see a player that's good be on a team that's thirty one and twenty four right now. Well, all right, so OKC's biggest problem is that they're the second worst three point shooting team in the NBA. And the NBA has evolved to where you have to be able to shoot three. Um I I look at their the way that their team is currently built and you have Enos Cantor and Steven Adams, I mean I guess if you're playing them both at the five, that's fine. Let them rotate in and out, some bonus at the four. Um, but Victor Oladipo, Kyle Singler, uh, those contracts just don't look good. Oladipo's never been a great shooter. Um, Kyle Singler's just kind of hanging around, if you will. Roberson's not a great shooter. They need, they need to get at least two good outside shooters to pair with Russ. Uh, this is a slashing team, and you can't win like that. Uh, a, a, anymore, you you can't do it. So if you, if you're OKC, maybe you try and trade one of one of your guys, you know Adams or Cancer. Maybe you you know if you can find a team that'll take Oladipo, uh, you know you, you try to move him. Uh, but you know that honestly they're better off not making the playoffs, and that's that's you know that that doesn't make sense or you know compute for some people. But you know this is a loaded draft class coming up. They really, really, really need um, to uh, to be able to get a, a, another good asset to yeah. pair with Ross. And they're cash-strapped. I mean, they gave – they handed out some contracts like Oladipo's and Cantor's where they're paying them a lot of money. And that's, mm-hmm. that, that's not paying off. I mean, I Oladipo – I would uh, tank. I would tank it. I would tank and – the Lakers right now at 19 and 37, they're about 10 years away from being anything. They suck. I mean, my God, how far basketball's gone. We need L.A. to be good again. We need OKC to be up there. And look at the New York Knicks, 23 and 33, Brooklyn, 9 and 45. If I was 9 and 45, I'd just kill myself in the NBA if I was that bad. 9 and, nine and 45, I mean, that's all you can win. Can I say something I about Westbrook real quick? Go ahead. The yeah. thing that impresses go ahead. me we gotta go. is, is his energy level every night. Yeah. Like yeah. how energetic he is to play every night. And I, I find that extremely impressive, especially at this point in the season. Yep. He's better than Durant. Durant's a bomb. That's what Durant is. He's a bomb. Oh, in my mind, he's a he's a city. The new LeBron James. Everybody's gonna pick on KD for leaving OKC. 
And they should. And they should. They should to go join them. You're you you got a three one lead over Golden State and you you you're just a second away from winning. Why don't you come back and finish it? Come back and finish it. Win a championship that you've earned and you built in that city instead of leaving and going and joining a bunch of sissies that shoot three pointers. Golden State will not win a championship this year. They won't. They won't. Somebody's going to get them. Cleveland or I think San Antonio's too old. I mean, they're they're a good regular season team. I mean, they're just not as athletic and as Golden State. The Clippers suck. Utah sucks. Memphis sucks. I mean, the West is not as as great as when it comes to beating Golden State. I guess the only team that can beat them is Cleveland. So uh-huh. I don't know I who I'll pull for now. I think either Golden State or the Spurs are going to win it all. I don't think Cleveland will win it. Cleveland's good now. Cleveland figured out one thing LeBron did. Screw the regular season. Screw the regular season. It's all about the postseason. That's all it matters about. This home court advantage stuff and whether you win, lose eight games or 20, it doesn't matter as long as you're a one or two seed. It doesn't matter. I mean, and LeBron's finally conserving his energy a little bit, realizing that in order for me to beat Golden State in June, whenever they play, uh, he's going to have to be kind of fresh and not be worn out. But Cleveland's a tough physical basketball team, and and they're not they're not going to have a better regular season record than Golden State, but they'll be able to beat them in a seven game series because, as you said, Quinn, LeBron's the best player in basketball, right? He is, but along with that, the other players besides Kyrie are going to have to step up also. Yeah, they will. Well, guys, we're out of time. We're way out of time, but uh, it is still recording our show. Nobody can call in right now, but they can still listen. So, Jonathan, Quinn, thank you. We can do a show midweek if we can. If not, we'll do it Sunday. Uh All right, guys. Take care. All right. You too. Have a good week, everybody. Talk to you later. All right, guys. Bye. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.